0: the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify powers in-person selling too? From events to farmer's markets to shows, Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. I've definitely been selling at an event and struggled between reconciling payment processors, inventory before and after the event, and easy reporting. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Prep for your next event with hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash StartupCPG, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash StartupCPG to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash StartupCPG.
1: Our existing ingredient partners are companies that make a product that shares the values, and they want to be able to tell their customers that every single ingredient has been sourced with integrity, and I think we're seeing more and more of that.
2: We buy fruit from smallholder farmers, basically um, families that basically produce some fruit for sale and some to keep uh, for themselves.
0: Welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. Consumers are looking for more and more transparency into the sourcing and production of their products. We've had social nature on the show to talk about the modern wellness consumer and the data backing their values-based shopping. And I wanted to dig into the behind the scenes of a brand building a really transparent supply chain. Renee Dunn, founder of Amazi, has been in the Startup CPG community from the beginning, and I've been following them for a few years. Amazi is on a mission to help people snack on purpose with their 100% made in Uganda tropical fruit snacks and are building a more sustainable and equitable supply chain. Earlier this year, the Amazi team posted a reel on Instagram with Joel, their operations and co-production manager based in Uganda. And I asked Renee if her and Joel would be willing to come on the show and talk about building their transparent supply chain and navigating an operation spanning two continents. Thankfully, they both said yes, and we had a great conversation that I'm excited to share today. Listen in as Renee and Joel share about how Renee got started sourcing products from Uganda and when she met Joel to discuss building a facility and scaling, the process of building out a facility in Uganda, how Amazi worked with Sprouts to postpone their launch to support getting the facility opened, what it looks like to work with local farmers in the process of bringing the fruit to the facility. How the finished product journeys to the US and makes it to store shelves, their emerging work in private label and ingredient supplying to create more demand for the products from the Uganda facility and farms, and more. Hi, Renee. Hi, Joel. So glad to have you here today. How are you both? Good. Thanks for having us, Jesse. Yeah, great to have you both here. Um, I would love if you could start off by just telling us a little bit about your, uh, Renee, maybe you start us off, tell us a little bit about yourself and your brand,
1: and then we'll jump to an introduction for Joel. For sure. So I'm Renee, I'm the founder and CEO of Amazi. Um, We make innovative tropical fruit snacks, all three simple ingredients um, featuring fruits like jackfruit, pineapple, plantains, in new and accessible ways. Um, but one of the most unique things about us is that we are partnering with farmers and small businesses in Uganda to produce all of our products through this partnership model. We have a vertically integrated supply chain um, and we're on a mission to help you snack on purpose. And, and that's where where Joel come in, is, comes in as well. So I will let, I will let him uh, jump in right there.
2: Yes, thank you. Um, I'm Joel, uh, operations manager down here in Uganda for a company called uh, Nebondi Organics. We are the partners uh, of Amazi that produce the product that she wants everyone's knock on purpose. Yeah, so I run the operations, but uh, yeah, I think that's it.
1: He's done all the things, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) From the start. I love it, and I am a big fan of the Amazi products myself. Um, I got to meet Renee in person at Expo West this year and got to try a bunch of the products. And then, but I ha- I am so far, I'm partial to the dried pineapple with moringa and hibiscus. Like I, like Renee sent me some and then I, like I ate the bag in one sitting and then I just had to go on the website and order like a whole nother, <laughs> a case of it. Um, And it, I think that's already disappeared too. So It's like all the products are delicious, though, and unique. And uh, yeah, I'm just I'm a huge I'm a huge pineapple fan in particular. So it's so fun to get to actually try the products and see how unique and tasty that they are.
1: Thank you so much. And I think so much of that is due to our production at Source model. I think we're able to really capture the flavors of these fruits, you know, peak ripeness, super fresh and um I think that's the like, yay for us side of the model, of course. You know, there's the impact side of things, but the yay for us side as consumers is that it tastes so much better. So thank you. I'm so glad that you can taste the difference. That's awesome. Great. So yeah, I definitely want to dig into
0: kind of the, you know, production supply chain. Um, Can you first also just kind of let us know like the stage that Amazi's at, like how many retail doors are you in? Maybe some of your major retailers, how many total employees do you have? And you know, maybe what that looks like split between the US and how many people in Uganda are working on the brand as well? Definitely.
1: So we're a scrappy brand. Um, I've been personally working on Amazi for seven years now, but it took me quite some time to first establish our initial partnership, initial products. And we launched this partnership with Joel and his team um, in 2019. So that was kind of like our start date in my mind. Um since then, we've launched with partners like Sprouts, Wegmans. Um, we're in Giant. Um, we're also in select Foxtrot stores in the D.C. area, not all the markets. Um, and we're also in um, airport markets such as like Sebo Express um, with OTG. Um, we do some hotels, some offices. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, in terms of team, very lean, like I said, uh, on the side in the U.S., it's me, full time. And then I have my ops manager, Nate. Um, and I have an admin assistant named Mika. And that's basically it. Um, and then on the Uganda side, though, Joel, I'll let you fill in. But the, uh, the management team is Joel, Charlotte, and Steven. Um, they are kind of our OG people that we found and built this partnership with. And uh, they lead the way. And Joel, I don't know how many employees would you say are regularly on staff? I know it. They, they fluctuate a little bit between when they're in peak production versus you know not. So, Joel, maybe you can shed some light on the ranges there.
2: Thank you. We have uh, 30 permanent employees on staff. That's um, um, the average of the permanent. Then uh, we do have what we call the casual uh, workers. These come in basically depending on the size of the order, filling the gaps here and there. And those usually range from about hundred to let's say about hundred to hundred fifty. Um, that's the usual range.
1: Yeah, it's a big team. Yeah, when I've been there in person, um, I go in person at least once a year. When I was starting the company, it was more often, but um, when I go and it's peak production, it's certainly buzzing. They're running a a buzzing facility over there, and it's awesome to see just lots of lots of people there. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, how did
0: you? How did the two of you first? connect. Like you mentioned that that was back in 2019. So what did that look like? Cause I believe Renee, that you have gone on, like you had initially gone to Uganda and that was part of what inspired you to start the company. So what did it look like for the two of you to meet and decide to really like, you know, set up this kind of production partnership?
1: Yeah. So Joel, I'll start and then you're welcome to add your side of the story. Um, but I, (laughs) his impression of this crazy person. Um, but I, I was, I did start the company before meeting Joel and it's actually his father, Steven is the, one of our other partners that I mentioned. Um, and I, I was studying abroad in Uganda when I was in college. I got my thesis, uh, grant. I got a grant to go back and do my thesis research there. I was studying entrepreneurship, um, speaking with local entrepreneurs and growers and, was just really struck by the lack of market access, as well as the very high levels of unemployment. Um, and beyond that, the incredible fruit. So every time I would come home, I would like smuggle back snacks from Uganda, and I was like, oh, I wonder if there would be a way that we could make these and encourage more local industry and allow the people at the source to actually be involved in the value addition, as opposed to being completely disconnected from the process, which is how most of our supply chain exists. Um, and at first what I did was I would find people who were already drying fruit to kind of start to develop recipes, start to figure out how that works. Um, but it became pretty clear within a couple years that we needed partners that really wanted to be partners and help us build this like streamlined supply chain, not just in terms of, you know, quality and scale Um, But also in terms of the transparency that we needed to achieve kind of the level of impact that we were wanting to create, Um, I think with working with third party producers, you know, there's always a level of um, opaqueness where you don't really see if the farmers are being paid on time, how much are the workers being paid, you know, like, you know, what's going on with the recipes, things like that. So um, we knew pretty early on that we needed to build a partnership from scratch. Um, and this is the fun part is that this has kind of become a family business where my dad actually did part of his career in Uganda. And he kind of let some of his friends in his network know, like my daughter is doing this crazy thing where she's trying to start this company. And it just so happened that Steven, Joel's father, and another friend of theirs, Damon, were looking to get into a new business space. They were really excited by the uh, potential of accessing the global market, and and agro processing is something that you know it, it is is an area that people look for because eighty percent of the Ugandan economy or more is agricultural. There's just not a lot of processing happening, um, and so I think they got excited, and Joel somehow got roped into this. Um, Joel, I'll let you tell your side, but but that's kind of how it first got started. We started having conversations, and then. Kind of early 2019, once we started to get interest from retailers like Sprouts, we were like, okay, maybe this can be a thing. And we kind of went for it. So, <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, yes. Uh, thank you. She pretty much uh, breathed it out well, apart from the fact that, Brenda, really, you may have forgotten the year. <laughs> we actually first went in 2018 towards the end. Then 2019 is when we did our first order. Um, Yes, so... So I first connected with Renee I think last 2018. Um, we had by the time we connected we had talked for a while. Um, but mainly online. Then she came down. I think we were working on um, perfecting the recipes. Uh, so that's uh, at least the team is quite conversant with what we're supposed to do. Um, the journey I can't add much. She really, just going to this path That's really really <laughs> how it went. I just remember one day my uh, my dad comes and tells me that this new this new business that um. Seems like it's quite interesting. I'm like, well, (laughs) if it's interesting, you know me. And interesting. That's that's. <laughs> I, I hoped on, I never looked back. And maybe I could say that uh, I joined in uh, while Renee was already running Amazin uh, itself. Um, I've been with uh, the company from inception, at least on our end. i um, been with them about four years, uh, which is basically the age of the company as well. But yeah, our first meeting physically was um, in Kampala, down in Uganda. She does come here quite a lot, at least once or twice a year, if you don't count the COVID years, that is. (laughs)
0: that's that's awesome yeah and I guess I'm curious too Joel on your background like it sounds like you were intrigued by like new interesting ideas and your dad mentioned this to you like did you have some background in like you know a production facility with a hundred like a hundred plus people at a time or like was this new? Like, I'm curious about you know what you were, what it was like when you heard this idea. If you had any background,
2: when I, when I had the idea, no, I did not have a background at the time. When I had the idea, it was interesting, but I, I don't think I, I understood the scope of it at the beginning. Because when you said agro processing facility, at the back of my head, I thought like maybe something small with about say five people running something. So when I got there, to, when I got on ground and saw the scope of it all, I was a bit overwhelmed. I won't lie, but then. Since I did not have the background in it, then I had to do, I had to do some reading. <laughs> I had to get, I had to get um, my facts in order. Uh, but after a while, um I actually started out in production, cause, um, which was a good thing, I think. I um, needed to uh, get in touch with the product itself, understand the whole mechanics of how everything works. Then after a while, um, I found myself in operations because there's a small gap there. But um, generally, I think it has been going
1: well. Joel is being humble because he... I don't know what we would do without Joel, first of all. This happens so much, Jesse, in our industry, but it's people who know nothing and just have the go-getting attitude and have a mission and just make it happen. And so, like, Joel is definitely one of those people where when we first met, it was just me, him, and Charlotte kind of playing with scaling up the recipes because they had never done it before. Um, And we literally went from, like, a lab at a university, like squeezing limes by hand to like, now he's in charge of all of our audit processes, all of our certifications, meeting with local government officials, getting our shipments scheduled, like it's pretty amazing. Um, and he didn't do any of this, any of this stuff before. Um, and you know, like I'm somewhat the same way. Like I had no idea how to make a product or sell products. So you know, I think our company is a good testament to like if you work hard enough and you learn things, you can uh kind of figure it out. We're kind of figuring it out. So <laughs> so yeah, it's it's Joel's amazing and the whole team there is amazing. That's so cool. I love yeah. that. So what did it look like to get like the
0: the current facility set up? And I'm also curious of like with the timing of so if you all were meeting 2018 2019 and then you have the pandemic hit and renee you can no longer go visit um like what did it look like to get the facility up and running like what did yeah like you know how did you kind of plan for like scaling up while also getting started? Like I'm, yeah, I'm just super curious about what that looked like having, managing the production. Like, did you already have farm partners?
1: Did you build the, like, yeah, I'm curious about all of it. <laughs> yeah. So I'll start and then Joel, you can kind of tack on from, you know, where I end. But so I had, as I mentioned, when I first started the company, I worked with a local dried fruit manufacturer, Um, and that's how I came up with my initial recipes, initial products to test the market. So officially I started Mozzie in like 2016, 2017. And what I would do is I would sell to kind of mom and pops. I would get feedback. I would do demos. I had a website. I mean, not much was happening there, but I started to realize that we needed anchor accounts in order to be able to scale in the way that we wanted. Um, and so basically we were waiting for kind of some point of like, if we build it, they will come. You know, like if we invest in breaking ground and building a facility, there will be at least enough demand to, you know, not just produce a pallet and we ship it overseas. You know, like so we needed an anchor, and and this is a total tangent, but I know that there's so much conversation around like, don't go nationwide when you're just getting started, and for us it was a little bit of a backwards approach where we actually needed a decent sized account to do anything because Mm -hmm. we were kind of caught in this weird place where I was importing like air freight half pallets or pallets from this producer that we couldn't scale with. So anyway, long story short, um, we get the yes from Sprouts at first. It was like a two month request. Like this Chris Vogel, I remember sent this email and he was like, we want these two SKUs. Can you be ready in two months? And we hadn't really broken ground yet. Like we had a plan because we knew we were in review and we were kind of waiting. Like this is like kind of early 2019, spring 2019. We were like already working out the arrangements. We were talking about what things might look like. I think land maybe was identified, all that stuff. But we hadn't like fully gone in. Um, And then we got the S and I was like, oh, there's no way we could do that. So I negotiated, I requested, I was like, listen, we're in this really exciting position. We're about to scale up manufacturing, have a dedicated facility. Can you give us till the end of the year? So they were like, yep, we can do the December reset instead of the June reset. So that was kind of our like ready, set, go. And um, I'm pretty sure that's how it felt, Joel. We just ready, set, go. Um, my dad flew over there first and... They kind of broke ground, contracted somebody who still helps us um, at the facility there to improve design. Um, Everybody just deep dived and went real hard for six months or so. And the initial launch to Sprouts, we still did in partial partnership with our previous um, production partners. And then we got um, Joel's team up and running kind of way end of 2019. In January of 2020, I flew there. And watch them do their first production run. So, thank God we did that (laughs) because literally the next month things started shutting down. So, we, um, yeah, I think if I hadn't been there in January and we didn't do the first run then, I think things would have gone very differently for us. But we at least had a baseline of like, this is how you produce, yes, no, like what's good, what's bad, what do we need to fix? And then I think in some ways it was a slight blessing with COVID just in the sense that there was kind of a ramp up start instead of it being right away, like these are the volumes every month. You know, things slowed down for a few months. As you know, like retailers were kind of like, we don't know what's going on. We had just launched. So we were a new brand and people didn't really know us. So it's not like we were already flying off the shelves. So it was super challenging to keep the business afloat But I do think it gave us a little bit longer time to kind of get things right and kind of practice scaling up our runs over time as opposed to being thrown in right away. Uh, I'll let Joel add to that because he was there uh, in Uganda and I was stuck on this side. But that was my that was my experience of the of the initial timeline
2: yeah um it's a good question actually and it's so interesting how <laughs> the first time she stated it, I had a totally different perspective First, the order. We were, we were in the middle, okay, we are towards the tail end of construction, I remember, of the actual facility. But then at the same time, this order was coming uh, to a point where we needed fulfillers. Then the pressure was so immense on our side, because now this was our first order, and it being our first order. It's a very big plant that we have to keep, so the quality has to be up there. Ah, it was nerves all over, so the pressure from the, from the contractor. Like, get us this I didn't know it was so it. scary <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was but at the same time you're like um in production like every section you have your like nothing is perfect like it is perfect but at the back of your head you're like no no we can do better here <laughs> so yes um it was quite a bit of pressure um I think we we sent that out as spot Order. was that 2020 or 2019 really it
1: was at the beginning of 2020 I think it was beginning of 2020 because I think what, yeah, it was either the way end of 2019 or the beginning of 2020, but, oh no, they did a trial run. They did a small trial run at the end of 2019. And then I went mm-hmm. there for the full first production run. So there was a trial run at the end of 2019 and we used some of that product in our initial sprouts launch um, and then fully transitioned to Joel's team after that.
2: Um, During COVID. Yeah, but also um, when you say how did we set up and how did we how did we um, uh, basically how do we have the current facility? The first thing my mind goes because you know this side, this end, I've been part of the process from the beginning, like from the point where they laid the first brick. So setting up the facility, that's where my mind goes, and it was quite a process, a nine-month process, if I may say, of just basically. Getting documents in order, making sure you're registered in all the necessary, with all the necessary authorities, ensuring that um, you can export because that's a process also in itself. And now, do remember, uh, this is my first time doing all of this. So I'm just basically grasping at straws and trying to figure everything out. Uh, luckily, I managed to get by somehow. But yes, it was quite a moment. Um, And uh, at the end of it, at least, uh, we got good reviews from all our hard work. Which was quite, it was quite nice. It was quite nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Getting anything done from a formal, official perspective, in, especially in Uganda, is, is very hard. Joel is, is, has worked hard from the beginning of figuring out these systems because they are really opaque. That's very hard. Uh, So yeah, he's, he's, we would be lost without him. Yeah. You mentioned like
0: working with like local and government officials and things like that. And then, you know, if you're launching with sprouts, I'm sure you had to submit all the food safety documentation. So you had to have the plant all registered with all the different that's, that's a lot to navigate. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: Both sides. I think were uh, biting off a little more than we could chew, but we, uh, somehow made it happen. So that's yeah, amazing. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: I'm curious too, like, do you, um, without, you know, going into any, you know, of your, your secret, uh, sauce, like, do you, ha- did you have to like import equipment? Like, I don't know how unique drying equipment is or like what the drying process is like. I'm, because I know, you know, buying machinery, it, you know, is is always a big endeavor. So like, was that, a, did you have to buy a lot of, uh, invest in a lot of equipment for the plant as well?
1: Yeah, everything I think equipment wise is more or less imported. Um, and my dad has somehow become like a fruit drying nerd and has like so much enjoyed researching the different drying technologies. I'm like, good, because I'm not interested at all. <laughs> um, but no, he he's the one who helped coordinate our initial um, machinery. Um, we found, I think these are the people in Oregon, right, Joel? Yes. That we got they the are. harvest savers from. Yeah. Yes. So use harvest saber dryers, um, but yeah, we imported those and they were built alongside the facility and uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> all the things, nuts and bolts. And then,
0: Joel, I assume you had to learn how all the machinery runs and make sure other people are trained how to, like, you know, maintain the machinery and everything. That sounds complicated.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I received a manual before the machine arrived. It's like like, um, I say, two months to its arrival. And I had to get everything in that manual in my head because... I'm the person in charge of training everyone. <laughs> so all the questions that I needed to have answers to. But it was quite a journey. And I'll, I'll actually say, um, send my um, thanks to the gentleman from Oregon. They really did provide some support. They always answered my questions. So, yeah, that was nice. But also getting familiar with the import process. Because now the export process and the import process are two completely different things, especially here. So trying to navigate all that, at the same time, you're trying to figure out how the machine works. Trying to figure out if it will work, (laughs) given our current power needs, because now the machines were actually uh, produced for the American market, so they didn't necessarily um, have the same. So you have to figure all that out. It's quite interesting. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Are you looking to get your products in front of 17,000 foodies? Consider exhibiting at the IFT First Conference, happening in Chicago, July 16th through 19th. The expo is put on by the Institute of Food Technologists, IFT, and filled with buyers, investors, product developers, research and development professionals, and innovators. There will be a startup pitch competition giving away $15,000 in prizes, plus 100 scientific panels, more than 800 exhibitors, plus the Startup Pavilion featuring 100 food and food tech startups. Booths in the Startup Pavilion are affordable at just $575. The theme of this year's IFT First is innovation in a time of crisis. Can we future-proof the food system? To learn more about IFT First and how to get a startup kiosk, go to iftevent.org. That's I-F-T as an in Institute of Food Technologists, iftevent.org. And the link is in the show notes.
3: Hey there, this is Kim on the Startup CPG team. Did you know that over 70% of in-store promotions are not effective and over 80% of brands will fail while promoting at the shelf? But you have to run promotions with retailers. So what's the solution? Thankfully, Promomash, the only all-in-one promotion management platform, and Crisp, a leading retail data platform that integrates with over 40 retailers, have developed a joint solution that gives CPG brands a level of visibility and control they've never had before over their trade spend and promo performance. A free 30-day risk-free trial is available exclusively for startup CPG members. Just go to promomash.com slash startup CPG. Promomash is spelled P-R-O-M-O-N-A-S-H. To see for yourself what more effective promotion planning looks like, that's promomash.com slash startupcpg, or the link is in the show notes.
0: I grew up on a farm, so I'm always curious on the on the farming side, like you know, how how close are the farms that you're sourcing from? Like you know, Joel, what's it like for you? Like um, you know, like connecting with farmers. Like is you know coordinating, um, receiving supply in, and like Renee on your side, like forecasting, like how much you're you're going to purchase from each farmer. Like I'm curious a little bit about that piece of getting the the products, you know, to the facility and at that peak time, because you mentioned trying to get them at that peak freshness. So you can kind of lock that in and dry it at that peak point And that. So you got to really thread the needle
1: on all those pieces. Yeah. And it's certainly not something we have down to a science yet. Um, I think as we continue to scale, it'll become, I hope, somewhat more predictable um, and easier. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll touch on one part of it and then I'll let Joel talk through the actual logistics of sourcing and stuff. But, you know, um, we have a few farmers groups. I think we have a total of around 300 actively in our network. And then there's are more than that in our extended network. Um, and I'd say we have one group out. Far out west, we have one group that's pretty close to the facility uh, for jackfruit, and then um, pineapple is also fairly close. And then I think there's one group further east, um, but Joel can probably correct me on that one um, if I'm wrong. Um, but in terms of planning ahead, we, I think that's the hardest part: um, our farmers and farmer relationships. Jesse, I'm sure you know this growing up on a farm, but farming is the livelihood and you know, predictability and seasonality are super important. Um, And so we actually don't contract farm right now because when we first tried to set up contracts, we, so we do have contracts that represent the partnerships. I should clarify. We have contracts with the farmers, but we don't commit to every season I'm buying this much because we found that when we first were giving projections, if farmers were... Overpromised, it actually very much soured relationships, <laughs> which I can completely understand. Um, I experienced this a lot with my previous suppliers, actually, with my previous drying partners. That was one of our main issues: is that I felt they didn't honor the farmer relationships in the right way. Where there's a lot of overpromising, a lot of underdelivering, and you know, sometimes that's the nature of this business. It's like, yeah, we're going to grow at this rate, and you grow at this rate, or like. You think this skew is gonna be popular, but this one is, and so you actually don't need that much plantain. And so I think our approach and what I've tried to do as best as I can is, and certainly the economy and stuff has thrown wrenches in this, but I try to project out, you know, this is how many runs we'll have in the next six months, the next year, what are and then I work with Joel and Charlotte around seasonality, and sometimes we shift it forward or backwards depending and and we do meet, we meet in person with the farmers. Um, I don't know how often they do, but we do have liaisons on the ground. And then I also try to meet with at least one group when I'm there. Um, just to express, you know, hey, this might not be going at the the cadence that you want all the time. You know, we can't make all the promises in the world, but we're at least showing up on our word when we give it um, and and kind of building from there some level of trust. So that's been that's been kind of how I um, see the partnerships. And I think, Joel, I'll let you touch a little bit more on like how you go about picking up at what time with ripeness and, and logistics and that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I'll first touch on something you said. It's very hard to, um, to predict when you'll get the fruit at times because recently you find that the seasons change uh, depending on like, when it rains. Basically, that's the simplest way to predict the seasons change. And the kind of farmers that we deal with um, Maybe let me explain that a bit. Is, um, we buy our fruit from smallholder farmers. Uh, smallholder farmers is ba- basically um, families that basically produce some fruit for sale and some to keep uh, for themselves. Um, and then we, we have uh, what we call our field workers, and these field workers basically go to the areas that are prevalent of the specific fruit that we are looking for, and then they set up um, First of all, uh, they identify the farmers they want to work with, and then they set them up in what we call farmer groups. They give these groups a structure that um, they have their own leadership, which, so of course, they vote for themselves. Um, then, at uh, the point where we need fruit from them, the production manager usually, depending on the purchase order that we have. We we'll reach out to the field um, field workers, and then um, the field workers, depending on the again, as I said, the seasons are not very clear. Depending on who has what, because remember, again, these are very smallholder farmers. So probably the biggest piece of uh, land they have is about two acres, and those two acres are divided between different crops, so by the time you, you see what they have for what you want, certainly maybe under half a acre. So basically the field officer um, gets the fruits, um, depending on the area, they all have collection centers. Uh, the fruit is uh, collected in the collection center um, where it's weighed. Um, when it's weighed, it's then uh, transported put in the truck and transported to the factory. Um, at the factory, it's weighed again. Um, then Depending on the ripeness level, it can either go to the ripening facility if it still needs to ripen, or maybe if um, it's ripe and not yet ready to be produced because of the current production schedule, it will then go to the cold room where wait stored for a bit as we wait. Um, but yes, that's our sourcing. Um, we try to, because because of our model, which is quite unique and quite hectic, <laughs> I may say, we try to. Uh, be very nice to our farmers and the fact that we are able to reach out to them directly allows us to compensate them above the market rates that they would get if we were dealing with middlemen. So you find that in the long term, again, this is a good thing for us because usually when they see the kind of movement that's happening and the kind of money that's coming from um, the kind of fruit we're getting from them, again, they try to increase the size of their farms. Which is a good thing for us. Of course, it may be a bad thing if, for example, I'm um, what we said earlier, the certain projections that we think are going to come don't come. So at that point, we try to be as open as we can with them, but just so that they can be in the right headspace when um, the projections that we expect don't come, maybe. But yes, and um, that's basically how we source our fruit um, down here. Yeah, it's. I mean,
1: hearing you explain it, you know, I I was there to help set up the first groups and and you know have seen it happen, but. When you listen to it, it's crazy. (laughs) It's like, we are really, we are really working with, it is crazy. These farmers in very remote areas have collected to get product on the shelf at Sprout. I mean, that's like, that's crazy. And I mean, I certainly won't take credit for figuring out the paperwork because I know Joel did (laughs) all that, but I mean, it's pretty amazing that like, we're, we're able to bring you know, things from like seven-hour drive from Kampala to the shelf at Sprouts. I think that's really awesome. Just hearing you say that, Joel, reminded me that it's uh, pretty cool.
2: Yeah. Oh, also, um, where the farms are located, um, the different fruits are prevalent in different areas of the country because the different fruits grow in different conditions around the country. So we have some coming from the central, some coming from the east, as when they say, far east some coming from the far west or well, the ones that are not in central you're looking at between seven to eight hour drives um to pick up the fruits so yeah i think that gives that a better picture of um, where the farmers are located
0: yeah that's amazing and very cool that you're able to compensate them above you know other rates that they other market rates that they might be able to receive that that's really neat yeah. so from from like receiving fruit in and drying it to, you know, then it's gotta cross the ocean and get to the US. And then I'm like, I'm assuming, like, is there, do you have a fulfillment center in the US that receives it? And then it goes to a retailer like Sprouts. Like, I'm curious, about, you know, kind of from once the product's made. What, what happens to get it here and for us to see it on retail shelves?
1: Yeah. So um, we, we package everything in Uganda right now, um, which is great. That's part of our mission is to bring as much value addition back to the source. So I import by more or less the container at a time. Um, and I hold everything in a third-party fulfillment center. Um, we just moved fulfillment centers like last week. Oh, um, <laughs> wow. So our new one, yeah. Our new one is in, a, in the Atlanta area. Um, We just got our first container there last week and everything went smoothly so far. So that's great. Um, and from there, we distribute. So, you know, if we have KE orders, they come and pick up for Sprout. Um, you know, we'll do direct with any retailer that will let us. But otherwise, we, we go through distributors and um, yeah, everything goes out of one fulfillment center. We try our best to keep it consolidated. Yeah.
0: And how big is a container for those that aren't as familiar with shipping by the container? Like what's, you know, how many pallets? What's the equivalent? Joel, I'll let you answer that.
2: Yeah, thank you. A container is about 40 feet. To fill it up would take about 19 pallets. That's um, 100 by 110 centimeter pallets. Yes, maybe if I may add on the shipment part on my end again, I do handle the shipments and logistics. I handle everything from here. Up to the port of choice. And in this case, we just switch to the port of Atlanta. Um, all the documentation, then I, I, I let it go at the point when um, the Amazon agent takes over. But yes, um, the, also the containers we use, uh, we use Refers. We don't use the conventional container. The reason being we want to keep our product at Room temperature at all times as this obviously affects the shelf life of the product. So in order to achieve that we have to use the refrigerated containers. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So how long does it take to go across the ocean usually? And then I assume that well, and I know there was port issues during um you know, during the pandemic, but like, you know, to get checked in and make it to the distribution center, how long does that take? I'll let Joel
1: into the first part and I'll talk about the second part. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Um. My my end setup is shipment. I just need a heads up for about two to three weeks. Um. The two to three weeks is mainly because of um the reefer And usually, since our reefers are dependent on imports coming in, and those imports have to be of reefers as well. So usually, when those imports are slow, it's pretty hard to get your hands on a reefer down here. Um. But if the reef wasn't in question, it would take me about fifty three to three days to have that all put together. Um, and time, sorry, please repeat. Was there a second part of this question?
1: About how long it takes from oh, the how port long. to... Yes.
2: Um, initially, it was going for 48 days, uh, but now I think it's down to 35 days on the water, which is uh, just uh-huh. above, above a month, really. Yes, and that's, that's if you the time. The time usually okay the time usually depends on where it's going. So Atlanta is now at about first five days. Yes.
1: yeah, I feel like when we're placing orders, we aim to have it shipped a month and a half to two months, usually a month and a half before we want it landed because then it'll land and then it takes a few days to clear. And then we have to do all the receiving. And then, you know, so, and every once in a while they do a fun FDA hold. Usually they're very quick. We had one on the last shipment, Um, but one time there was a long FDA hold, which was frustrating, but usually it's quick. And, um, and then in terms of, you know, barring any port congestion there, it's just a couple days to clear. And then you know, usually within a day from it being picked up, it arrives at our facility and, and, um, and yeah, so that's kind of this side of things is the longer we wait, the longer it takes, the more we have to pay. So we, uh, we try to clear it as soon as possible. And, um, you know, again, barring any holds or anything like that. Um, but, um, yeah, then the receiving process is the longest part. Yeah.
0: And then I didn't have this on my list. So let me know if this is, uh, this is not a good question to ask, but I'm curious to support, like to support the volumes and, and keeping the facility at so many employees and everything and, and you're shipping volumes and containers. Like, do you also do like, like, are you a raw ingredient provider for some companies? Do you do private label work? Like. You know, how else do you support the volume? Is that okay to ask?
1: <laughs> You're totally okay to ask um, because that's exactly where we've been working uh, the past several months. Um, private label can- contracts take so long. We have a couple underway um, and they're all heading in the right direction, um, but they are taking a while. Um, so we've developed a few new products for private label that have been approved um, and we're working on those. We do have a few ingredient customers, um, but we are working on additional ones. Um, Right now, we're talking to a bunch of chocolate companies um, about incorporating some of our dried fruit products. Joel has actually started recently attending more trade shows actually on the Uganda side um, and getting interest from other markets such as South Africa um, and Europe, um, because it's actually closer to Uganda. So it's easier to shift to. Um, But yeah, I mean, a large part of the past year or so has been focusing on these other channels because, you know, I think getting started, we had our eyes set on retail, but you know, with COVID hitting right away and being an emerging brand, it's been definitely an uphill, you know, uphill climb to get volumes high and consistent all the time. So uh, we've definitely had our fair share of ups and downs um, over the past year or so. Um, and you know, there've definitely been times where we had to, there was at least a month or so last year, I think when the facility was full on closed, because we just couldn't afford, um, you know, I couldn't afford to produce for no reason. And, and they couldn't afford to pay wages for no reason. Although actually I think they did, I think they did support their core employees anyway. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it, it's, an, it's, it's been, you know we're all learning as we go um, but I mean that's a great question and that's exactly where our heads are at so we're really trying now to expand so if anybody listening to this podcast is interested <laughs> in any tropical fruit um we actually work in a number of fruit verticals beyond our existing SKUs. so just reach out to I mean I'm sure you'll put our contact with again but uh reach out to us because we I, we've been actively seeking and and we're really excited about our new private label clients but um those contracts probably won't hit with their first orders until like end of this year early next so um they just take time but they're happening slowly but surely yeah
0: yeah oh that's awesome yeah, we'll definitely share your contact uh, info and everything at the end. I also wanted to kind of um, ask each of you to end on just like, you know, what, what you're excited about next. Like, you know, what's in both from a brand and just from a personal side of like, what parts of the business excite you the most and like you're excited to continue to work on in the future, or it could be parts that are already your favorite, but just kind of curious, like what are you excited about right now? Joel, you can go first.
2: Oh, thank you. I'm very excited for the new flavors. Um, we've been working so hard to come up with some um, new variations to uh, the current uh, fruits we have and even increasing our portfolio to, to include very many other fruits that I'm sure many really people love. I'm very excited about that. I'm also very excited about the potential that the business has. I'm sure that uh, the direction we're going is difficult at times, very tough, but I'm sure it's the right direction and I'm happy uh, that it looks good. It looks good. Um, yeah. That's awesome!
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I'm all I'm also excited about the potential. I think I forget it sometimes. <laughs> I'm like I'm, I don't know, Joel. If you ever feel that when you're in the thick of it, but I sometimes forget that there's potential out there uh, when we're just back here trying to figure it out. But no, I mean, I I'm excited about our brand refresh. I think it's the right direction for retail, and I I personally am really excited about the potential that our business has in. Exactly, the spaces that you mentioned. Um, I think that there's such a need right now for high integrity supply chains, for quality product that is making a positive impact. And the dried fruit space right now is so commoditized. And I think we have a really unique offering that, you know, significant retailers are interested in now. Um, You know, we have meetings about private label with. Wegmans and Thrive and Misfits and and Sprouts, you know, they're talking to us about it. They're interested. They're asking questions. Um, even Kroger. So, you know, I think I, I, who knows if we'll land all these contracts. But my point is the fact that people are, I think, looking for for some quality and some and some and a story to tell um, with their products. I think more than ever before. And I think you know, it's certainly been a slog and it's been a bumpy road um but it it feels like we're well positioned to serve i think a growing need. I mean, we've done the legwork of building the supply chain. We have the transparency, we have the quality, we have some good innovation in the pipeline too. Um and so I think that, you know, whether it's a store or again like our our existing ingredient Partners are, are companies that make a product that shares the values, and they want to be able to tell their customers that every single ingredient has been sourced with integrity. And I think we're seeing more and more of that, like I said. So, you know, whether we partner with Share Snacks, they're a trail mix company, um, everything they do is like single origin, single sourced, um, compostable packaging. Um, and we're seeing the same thing with some chocolate companies touting, you know, how they make their chocolate. So I think it only it's going to be the next step in, in a lot of these products where no longer does a chocolate company saying all those things want to buy their pineapple from Dole. You know, they want to get pineapple from the farmer or from a company that is supporting those farmers. So um, I guess that was long winded. But I'm, I do think that there's a lot of potential in this space. And, and I love building. I actually love building those partnerships. I love my calls with like bulk and private label clients because it's really, I like all, actually I like all side of sales and business development, but I really like the relationship building and, and just, it feels like we've built something useful, which is nice to know. So, uh, yeah. So I think, um, I'm excited about that part for sure. Yeah. I love that. Consumers are more educated than
0: ever and looking for transparency. And like you said, the dried fruit has just, it really has been such a commodity up until now. And I mean, really trying the Amazi products, like uh, it really, for me was this moment of, oh, like this is so much better than any dried fruit I've had before. Like I kind of did I viewed them as a commodity in my mind because it's in the bulk pack of the grocery store, or they kind of all taste the same and they all kind of tasted like I didn't I didn't have, you know, whatever I buy, I kind of just have kind of mediocre expectations. But once I tried the Amazi products, I was like, this is this tastes so much better. Consumers can have access to a dried fruit that tastes so amazing. Like it made me really excited and just seeing the transparency. I love seeing what you're you're doing and you know, getting to hear today more about the hard work that you are both putting in and your teams are putting
1: in is just it's, it's really exciting thanks so much jesse that means a lot i know the uganda team works so hard after all of our feedback and iterations and yeah i think also just understanding the american palette like that was the first step it was like what do you guys want oh. <laughs> so i think um yeah i'm so glad that you can taste the difference i know that's been years of work so that's awesome Great.
0: You know, if for those listening, I definitely encourage you to go check out the Amazi website. So you can go to so it's a m a z i amazifoodscom And I'll put that in the show notes as well. On Instagram, you can follow at Amazi foods. Is there any other links or places that people
1: should go to that I should include in the notes? Um, We do have Amazon listings as well. Um, If you search for us, Amazi foods, jackfruit or Something like that, it will come up. Um, but yeah, those are definitely the main ones. And and we would love your support on uh, retail shelves as well. That would mean a lot to us. Awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much. This was
0: so awesome. Thank you, Joel, for staying up late to join the the conversation. I really appreciate that. But yeah, this has just been awesome. And I, I know that our community members are going to really value hearing your experience and just appreciate you both. And we'll we'll all be continuing to cheer for Amazi. And I'm probably going to go eat some more dried pineapple right now if I can find more
1: in my house. So, <laughs> oh, Thank you so much for having us, Jesse. And Joel, thank you for joining me. It was much more fun to do the podcast with you than by myself.
2: <laughs> yes, thank you for having me as well. It was a warm welcome my first podcast. I hope I did well.
0: <laughs> you did. You're a pro. I think it'll be the first of many.
2: Thank you very much. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening in today. I'm so honored you joined me for this conversation and I love hearing from you all with feedback, suggestions, or if you just wanna say hi at podcast at startupcpg.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. If you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend or colleague, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, and maybe even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you aren't yet in our Slack community of founders and experts, We'd love to see you there. You can get the free invite at startupcpg.com and find all our other awesome resources there, like webinars, databases, the blog, the magazine, and virtual and in-person events. And if you found yourself rocking out to our intro and outro music, which I do every single time, make sure to check out the Super Fantastics on Spotify. It's the band of our Startup CPG founder, Daniel Sharf. I'm Jesse Freitag, your host and producer, and on behalf of the whole team at Startup CPG, thank you for being here and see you next week.